Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Tribe Supper, your go-to Middlesbrough FC podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove. I'm joined by Dom Shaw and Craig Johns, and we've had the first game of the season, gents, and we're going to get on to that, the 1-1 draw with Fulham, but I feel it only appropriate to share a little story about Craig after the game um, against Fulham. I know Dom had the same text I did from Craig's better half asking, have you got his work number? Because Craig had left his personal mobile on the platform at King's Cross. Don't worry, gents and ladies, he got it back. But I can't help but think, Dom, I would have paid good money to see Craig sprinting from the train back up to the northeast, down the platform to get that phone. Didn't you get didn't you have four minutes, Craig? And you got there and back in four minutes. Yeah, so anybody who knows King's Cross, I'd, I'd, I'd eaten while I was waiting for my trainer, uh, Leon, um, got to the train and uh, had left me phone on the table, realised once I got on the train that that's what I'd done. Um, had four minutes from, it was, it was, the train was leaving at Hartbast. It was 26 minutes past uh, when I realised. Got off the train, sprinted down the platform, back to Leon, got me phone and back to the train in those four minutes in time to still make the train. Um, I mean, you know, quite fitting at the moment as the Olympics just finishes. I'd have won gold in some event for, for, for that there. And it, what normally takes four minutes, Dom, you're an athletics guy. I should have been in whatever event normally takes about four minutes because I'd have been taken on gold on Sunday. The mile you'd, you'd, you'd give Matt Crooks a, you'd give Matt Crooks a run for his money in that mile challenge that yeah. Paul Warren used to tell him. I tell you what, look, and and this is sad this, um, but when when I got the message from from uh, your, from Kirsty, your girlfriend, and from the guy who picked your phone up, I got a message as well saying your friend is. Let me just give us a sec. I'll find it. Your friend left his phone at Leon King's Cross. And one of the first things that came to my mind was he's just written his match report on his phone. He's gonna have to, he's gonna have to write it again. <laughs> like, oh God, yeah. Rather than but, the absolute chill of losing everything that's that's that, on your phone. Yeah, that was the only reason, luckily, that I did realise I'd left my phone because as you say, I'd I'd written it while on the tube uh, on the underground going from Fulham to or Hammersmith back to King's Cross. I'd written it up on my phone. And once I got on the train, I got my laptop out, ready to email it from my phone to my email so that I could then launch it up on the laptop. And it was as I went to get my phone, I realised it wasn't there. And that's, uh, if, if I hadn't have been for that and for needing to do my match report, I'd have potentially set off and I'd have been on the way back home and, and that would have been an absolute nightmare. It's very unlikely that the chap who did pick your phone up is a tribe sort of listener, but if he or she is, then, you know, credit to you. Yeah, thanks very much. Okay, let's talk about that match report then, Craig. How was it? First game of the season, 1-1. They were behind for a long while until Bola grabbed the equaliser 13 minutes from time. Was it a deserved result in the end? 
Um, it depends which way you look at it. I think, you know, Fulham will probably feel aggrieved. Certainly Mark War Silva did, because I think for, for 70 minutes, uh, it has to be said that Fulham dominated the game. They were the better team in possession. They had plenty of shots on goal, on, you know, at goal, but not on target. Uh, that was the one good thing. You know, Borough still looked relatively solid defensively. There were a few chances, but not many were clear cut. There was only three on target. Uh, all game and you know you look at the goal they scored it was a moment of individual brilliance from from Harry Wilson um, and and that came from outside of the box in itself um, so so yeah the, um, you know the, the, Fulham were the better team there's, there's no doubt in that and, and so there should be you know the squad that they've got there one have pointed out today you know the, the, they've probably got a squad strong enough of competing in the championship of players who didn't play or weren't in the squad on uh, on Sunday never mind the players that did play you know they've uh, they've come down they've kept a lot of the Premier League players they've they've signed Harry Wilson for 20 uh, for 12 million pound because uh, they can do that because of the parachute payments so um you know, in terms of, I mean, you mentioned earlier, what did we learn from the game? I don't think we learned that much about Middlesbrough yet. Um, we, you can see that they still need a little bit up top. Um, they still need cover here and there across the squad in the rest of the month. Uh, but I think all we really learned about that about that Middlesbrough team in terms of where the season's going to go is that they do have heart, they have battle, they have the fight, they have the desire, and they have that togetherness. And and as Warner pointed out after the game, uh, you know that's you know that's a staple of what all his successful teams have been built around that togetherness he's he's been seeing this since 1987 at Scarborough you know I, I watched a video this summer on YouTube of uh taught and after Scarborough were promoted and he, he said in this interview in 1987 he said you know we're we're a bunch of we're a team of misfits and uh you know we, nobody expected us to prove be promoted we don't score a lot of goals but we've got such a good uh, camaraderie in the dressing room and we've managed to get promoted that was 1987 and he's still seeing the same lines now in 2021 and you know every successful Warnock team has been built around that because on paper they aren't the best teams in the division but they have that togetherness they have that camaraderie and and that's what gets them over the line and, and that's what we learned at Fulham is that they absolutely have that I guess Dom we mentioned there the likes of Harry Wilson, 12 million. I mean, that's more than some Premier League sides have spent this summer so far. And for all the money that Fulham have got and the, you know, the players that they've got, the squad they've built, the, this is the sort of team that Warnock wants to be competing against because he knows that if Borough are going to get promoted, then the likes of Fulham, even with the, the, the amount of money they've spent, they've got to be matching them. Absolutely, and I think I think it was a good time. Uh, I know it's uh, early to roll out a cliche, but I think I think it was a good time to play them. First things first, we, you see it, don't you? Year in year out, where teams who've come down um, take time to settle. I think the other thing as well that we know this from we know it from the year Borough came down. I think Stoke are the the real example. I remember looking at Stoke squad the first year they were in the Championship and thinking, you know, there's only two places up for grabs to go up because they're winning the title at a canter, but. When, when you've been used to losing games, getting out of that losing habit is so difficult to do, isn't it? Um, just because the season ends and just because you get two or three new players in and perhaps even a new manager, it doesn't mean that you can just flick a switch and go from losing games to winning games. Um, so so I, I think, you know, before Fulham get a chance to... Because 
I, I think there's question marks over the manager personally, Marco Silva. I've never been convinced by him. I, I'm, you know, I'd, I'd be much, I'd, I'd, I'd be much more comfortable back in Sheffield United, I think, to go straight back up than than Fulham. But that is a real quality squad, and and in Harry Wilson, they've got a real match winner at this level. Um, the the Wilson goal. It, it was easy to point the finger at Bowler, obviously, because he's the defender who goes to him. But, but something came to my mind. I remember watching Iron Robin years ago, and Robin cut in from the right. It was a Champions League game, and he scored a couple of goals that were a carbon copy of each other, cut in from the right and, and shot from distance, and it went in. And the pundits afterwards were two or three pundits saying, you know, the left-back's got to do more. You know he's going to cut in inside. You've got to stop him and show him down the wing and show him on his on his right foot. And I remembered reading a piece afterwards where it, it said Rob, Robin scores the same goal again and again and again. What that tells you is, although you know what you've got to do with him, doing it is a completely different thing. And you might want to show him outside, but the way he cuts in, um, it, it's 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 not as it's easier said than done to stop him cutting in and stop him getting the shot away. I thought that with Wilson when you watch the goal back. He caught Bowler off balance, didn't he, with a couple of shimmies, a couple of drop shoulders, and then managed to get his shot away. I agreed with the pundits at half-time when they said, yes, Bowler should have done better, but he also needed help from those behind to stop the shot, to step out. Um, but, I, but I thought, I, I agree with Craig there. I, I don't think it was a case of learning a lot at Fulham. I think it was more a case of telling us what we already knew about Borough, that they're absolutely not going to lack in in, uh, in in unity and character and fight this year, we know we know that. Um, we we know they're a striker short. That's obviously absolutely no secret. We saw that when Matt Crooks had to go up front, and we know how reliant they're going to be on a player like Marcus Tavernier, who, who came off the bench and changed the game. So, and you could go on. I think there are three or four more points that we knew before the game, but it only the the, the ninety minutes at Craven Cottage only served to kind of back up what we already knew. So, Craig, what was one like afterwards? I know there's been a there's been a presser as well since, but what was he like in the aftermath of the the draw against Fulham? Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was on a high. It's the best way of describing it. He came into us not long after he'd uh, he'd had the on pitch celebrations, which uh, you know obviously the fans that were there saw. But I'm not sure what they showed on Sky, but I would imagine they showed that he was in front of that away end, giving the fist bumps, and you know that's the first time he's managed a competitive game for Borough with fans there because he of course missed the Bournemouth Test event last season, so he was there in front of that away end, giving the fist bumps, and yeah, he said he said at today's press conference ahead of Blackpool, he he said he had a tear in his eye. Uh, listening uh, to it and and the reaction at full time from the fans and, and throughout all the games the borough the borough travelling fans there at Fulham they were, they were absolutely brilliant and and they really played the part in borough getting back into that game because they just willed them on so much and uh, yeah so he, he was on a high when he came to us and he, he was he was ever so proud and it was it was interesting you know he was asked about the fact that Fulham had dominated so much of the game and, and did have a fair few chances uh, but he, you know he, he said then he said that that hadn't concerned him because he always knew with Fulham's you know quality that that would be the case and and actually Borough set up to to negate that if you like you know they were solid and they were tight at the back to try and keep it where Fulham were only having these half chances and as I say they, they only had three shots on target in the end it was it was at the other end that disappointed him the only kind of negative he, he, he drew on the game was the fact that until the 70th minute and you know from about 75 minutes onwards 
there was only Borough probably looked like they would win the game once they got the equaliser. They looked the most likely team to win the game. But for the seven, the first 70 minutes, you know, they struggled to create much. I think I don't think they had a shot on goal at all in the first 70 minutes. And and that was what disappointed him. But like I say, I don't, I don't think we learn a lot in that game, uh, as Dom says, because of how strong Fulham are. And because I don't think, you know, Borough will be setting up to play many teams this season in that way that they're set up uh, on Sunday. I think there will be a bit more, you know, they'll go for it a little bit more against most teams. But, uh, but you know, they had to do a job on Sunday, essentially. You, you mentioned the fans there, Craig, and the full time. Obviously, I was just watching on the box, but um, I mean, it, I had goosebumps watching that at full time. Yeah. And there was a moment, just briefly, when the camera, when Warnock had gone over and the camera panned in on him, and he, he looked to be almost kind of like taking a step back and, and taking it all in. And the players too. Um, but I thought, yeah, I thought the away fans, it, it, from TV, as I say, I'm watching on the box, but I thought they sounded and, and looked great, especially, I mean, that's kind of like a late equaliser, finishing well, it's a good away end at Fulham. It's, um, it turned out to be, to, to work out brilliantly, really. I'm just glad, you know, for the fans who, who, who did go, who made the trip and those who were based down in London, I'm just glad that they got a goal and they got a result, uh, got a result to kick things off. Well, certainly. And um, there was one player that I know impressed, I think it was Dom. We've got uh, Isaiah Jones. So do we think he, I mean, he came off the bench, 71 minutes played. Did he, what kind of impact did he have for those who didn't see it? And and, and does he have a role going forward, do you think? Fair play to Craig here, because at the start of the summer, we had to write those, um, the pre-season supplements that went out. And, and this was kind of um, three or four weeks before the start of the season, probably even more when we started writing it and, and one of the players was who's going to be the breakout star and and Craig picked out Isaiah Jones um, we both heard you know very good things about Queen of the South um, when he was on loan in the second half of last season that that loan was was disrupted by injury but he still before that injury was very impressive um, and we knew even before then that Warnock was impressed by him because he, he was he didn't really feature it. In fact, I think he might have only played a couple of minutes at Brentford in the Cup last season. But he was in and around the squad. He was on the bench a few times. Him and Sam Falarin. And, um, and he seems to have kicked on while Falarin has, has, you know, continues to play with the under-23s and hasn't really been part of the first-team picture in the summer. Um, Warnock said a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember after which friendly it was, might have been York, and he said that he'd already had League Two clubs on. Um, asking asking about Jones, asking about his availability. If he was to go out on loan, you'd imagine that there'd be League One clubs interested as, as well as League Two clubs. Um, but he, 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 he does have something which really very few, if any, other players in the squad have, and that's that pure pace and and uh, he's fearless as well, isn't he? I think as a as a youngster, he's come through the non-league ranks and he's almost kind of that raw that raw edge. Has, he hasn't had it knocked out of him. Um, he hasn't had it coached out of him, if you see what I'm saying. And he's still got that kind of... I mean, Warnock said afterwards on on Sunday, uh, on yeah, Sunday, that it was all, he played it as he'd play a Sunday league game. And, and I knew exactly what he meant by that. Um, and I, I do think, you know, even if it's from the bench as an impact sub for now, I, I do think there's a role to play, especially with Sammy Amiobi out with 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 a knee injury, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. Obviously, Warnock won't want to take too many risks with with Tavernier as he's coming back from that niggle that he was nursing over the summer. Um, and Jeremy Sivy is another who was who was very impressive, and, and Warnock waxed lyrical about Sivy at every given opportunity. Um, 
but but I do think Jones is the one, as Craig predicted about six weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I mean, you mentioned the, the Brentford Cup game and it was kind of then when I first uh, saw Jones. And, and as you say, he only came on for a couple of minutes. But the, the thing that always I remember in that game, they were, they were losing 2-1 at the time, as I say, a couple of minutes to go. And there was a ball pinged from the right wing, kind of it would have been whoever was right back, I presume, pinged this ball all the way over to the far side of the pitch, far corner where Jones was. And, and you know, he's a young boy making his debut in a game. He's got a couple of minutes to do whatever he do he brings this ball down and it wouldn't have been an easy ball to control it, it was fizzed at him and it came from a long way but he brought it down with a wonderful touch and then his first reaction from the edge of the box was to just get at his man do a bit of trickery try and get past him and and he did he got past him he put a cross in and if i remember rightly it just got clean in the end nothing came of it but at that moment like dom says it, it was that kind of you know that kind of rawness and that, that that positivity that uh he had to just come on at his age for his debut and and do that um it really impressed me it caught my eye then um that he did that and then he, he obviously went on loan as dom says to queen of the south and you know he, his initial start there if i remember rightly he did something like in his first se uh, seven games i think he got six assists in a goal and they were absolutely raving about my queen of the south and and so yeah when we had to write them supplement pieces i i, I had spoken to neil prior to writing it and he, he had kind of said that you know as I was somebody that they would take a look at in pre-season. So, you know, I just had a hunch that he was somebody, particularly looking at the squad, and it was it was always going to be obvious that they were going to be short of a winger or two uh, in the early parts of the summer, and, and therefore youngsters would be needed. It just, everything felt right for, for Isaiah Jones to kind of, to get his chance in pre-season, and, and he looked good enough to take it, and, and so it's proven. Oh, indeed, looking forward to seeing what the, what the season holds for him. If you've got any questions for Dom and Craig, do throw them in the comments. We've got a few now, which I will uh, put to both of them. We'll start with um, one on the, the draw against Fulham. Um, and Chris, not as positive as most people are with what happens um, against Fulham. He says, fortunate goal, a 10-minute flurry, and everyone's happy. Toothless, no pace, and yet another goalkeeper who fumbles regularly. Craig, what do you say to that? Yeah, um, I mean it's a it's a very pessimistic view of uh, of how the game went. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a fortunate goal. I think it was a well crafted goal. I think uh, you know one thing Burrard struggled because of you know the way they sat back in the game and and, and stayed tight and solid and looked to, to kind of negate Fulham's attack. They didn't do they didn't do much to attacking in the game and they didn't break Fulham down much. Um, what what more and Crook spent much of the game too far away from from Uchik Piazu, and uh, he looked really isolated up top. Not much stuck to him. So I agree that certainly for seventy minutes, you know, as an attacking force, Borough weren't brilliant, and 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 Warner conceded that himself after the game. But I think the goal, I don't think it was fortunate in in the least bit. I think uh, you know Tavernier had very deliberately that was planned out at half time. He'd been very deliberately switched into that number ten role for the last twenty minutes to 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 have a goal. You know, Burr's, Burr's game plan was always to to keep it tight, stay in the game, and then have a goal later on. And uh, you know, Tavernier went into that number ten role. Uh, Jones went out left, and uh, and Tavernier gets the ball. He runs across the box. He drags a couple of Fulham players out of position. The ball does in the end fall kindly to. Uh, 
to Bola. The he, he plays a one-two with Jones. Incredible vision by Jones to slip that ball back through for Bola, and it's a wonderful finish. I don't think that's a fortunate goal. I think that's uh, that you know that's that's been crafted, and it's uh, it was well done by Tavernier to kind of open up the space for that run. It's what was needed. Um, yeah, I mean. It, it's it's how you look at it. Um, Fulham did dominate, but as I said earlier, with the squad, you would expect them to dominate. There's not many teams going to be as strong as Fulham this season. And Borough won't set out in the way that they did on Sunday against many teams this season. It was just being respectful of of the quality that Fulham had. Um, yeah, and um, interesting comment on Lumley. I mean, he didn't have an awful lot to do on uh, Sunday. The see, he only had three shots on target, and. Um, nothing he could do with the goal the the fumbling issue the only thing i can think is there was one moment in the second half where a, a cross did fizz across and he he, he came he, he kind of came as though he was going to get it but he got nowhere near it and there was i can't remember which fallen player it was but there was somebody arriving who wasn't too far off getting on the end of it but he didn't and uh, other than that i can't think of anything that lumley did in the game that would uh particularly concern me but of course luke daniels um arrived yesterday and uh you know very experienced goalkeeper and from from what i'm told he's uh he's absolutely not coming here just to to sit and, and earn money while sitting on the bench and watching Joe Lumley. You know, he's a he's a character who really loves playing football and he, you know, he'll be supportive of Lumley and he respects that at the moment that jersey is Lumley's, but he's going to be pushing hard and you know he wants his place in the team. So as well as potentially earning that place in the team, it also, you know, pushes Joe Lumley's standards higher because he knows he has to work harder to stay in the team. Almost certainly uh, Warnock said about Daniels, I've watched Luke for a few years now. Delighted to have him on board. Always found him very consistent in what he does. He's a good goalkeeper, a good lad, and he'll be a great addition to the squad. So, yeah, he's arrived on a free transfer. Dom, coming here from, from Derek Rochford, and he kind of, uh, he does say in another comment that it was poor on the first half attacking-wise, and he's made a comment here about McNair maybe uh, putting in a few more crosses instead of shooting. I guess, does that come in time with as the season goes on that, you know, the first few games of the season, you're still just trying to find your feet and maybe the, those decisions will come once you get a few more competitive games under the, under your belt. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to fault McNair for, for having a shot on goal because, um, you know, we know he's got an eye for goal, hasn't he? He's got a, he's got a great shot on him. Um, so uh, no no fault there. I mean, you know, we know how good his set-piece deliveries are, his crossing is, and um, whether you play a four or a five, really, you're getting the best out of that because if it's a five, he's stepping out and he has that kind of licence to step forward. It was interesting to see him in midfield on uh, on, on Sunday, actually, um, given that he's played the bulk of the of the summer as, as a back five. Um, and, and I think the I think the, the other thing is you've got to remember, you, you know, who you were playing. Fulham, Fulham love having the ball, the love keeping the ball. It was it was always going to be, I think, even before the game, we knew Borough were going to be kind of feeding on scraps, especially especially the centre-forwards, and especially when you're missing someone like Marcus Tavernier. How many times have we said it? He's the, he's the link-up man. It was a frustrating game, wasn't it, for uh, for Duncan Watmore? I thought if Piezu did, did all that was asked of him, really, in the first half, he was... You know, he was feeding on scraps, but he put himself about and made a nuisance of himself. Um, but I, I think, you know, to, it's one of those, isn't it, where if you lose that game, you come away and you can say, well, we showed no attacking intent and it was the same as last year. But when when you get a point, it, it's absolutely job done. We hung on in there against a good team. We were going to trouble most teams this year. And, 
Um, you, they are going to be in the mix, aren't they? Whether they go up automatically or or whether it's a top six, with that quality, they're bound to be in the mix. Um, hung on in there. Heads didn't drop when they went 1-0 down early on. And, and I, I guess it'd be easy to get demoralised, really, when you're not when you're not getting opportunities. But they did come. And I, I actually thought Borough were going to win it in the last 10 minutes, especially with that chance for Tav. I, I could just sense Borough nicking one, but I think it's a great point to get things started. Few questions on the transfer window. We'll start with Chris here, and he says, "Any news on new signings? I've heard about a striker in the Turkish league and an Aberdeen winger." He asks, "Is it panic stations? It's worrying when other signed players who we could have done with." So I don't know. Who wants to jump in with that one first? Go on. I'll uh, I'll go on that one because uh, we have spoken to Warnock this morning. So he's obviously um, spoken to him this morning. He's uh, he said that um, you know there's nothing quite close yet. They they they're speaking to a couple. He, he wants a left sider, you know, somebody who's going to kind of offer cover for Baller and potentially be a bit more of a, a wing back for when they go five at the back. Um, and and clearly he needs another striker. They're the two priorities at the moment, and and they continue to talk to targets. But um, he basically said nothing's too imminent. And, and at the moment they have uh, they are kind of struggling in the negotiations in terms of of getting anything over the line and getting anything finally agreed. But you know he's still hopeful and he's still. Um, He's still, you know, hopeful that those deals can go through. It's just a case of at the moment, those, you know, there is negotiations to be had and, and the financial implications of any deal have to be considered by the club because of fair play rules. And, you know, they can't overbid for certain players. They can't offer too much wages because if there were to, as was the case with uh, Rodrigo Muniz, when they thought they had a deal in place with him and then Fulham come in and, and, and up that bid, they couldn't afford the match. Fulham's bid for Muniz because if they had it done it would have meant sacrificing signing somebody else in another position for example they might have had a sacrifice getting a left sider in because they couldn't have afforded to get both if they'd have matched Fulham's offer uh, because you know that's like they're the financial fair play rules that are in place in the championship so um, certainly not panic stations they're very clear in the players that they want um, and they've still got another month to do it um, you know the rest of this month uh which of which there's still plenty of time uh they're working very hard on it and and of course they would like them in sooner rather than later because you know the, the sooner they're in the, the quicker they're going to adjust build the fitness and, and and get you know integrated into the squad but you know it's not an easy market and you know borough are actually one of the the most active teams in the championship um and um you know, it's not for a want to try in that they haven't got the players that the they do want in yet, the rest of the players. And, uh, you know, this market will start to open up more now as, as we come in, uh, into the, to, to the last few weeks of it because squads start to settle. You know, you look at the Premier League and, and their season doesn't start until the weekend coming. So once it does, Premier League clubs will have a better idea of, of who's in their plans and who isn't in their plans. That means they'll start sending players out on loan and they'll start making players available potentially for, for transfer. And, and the market opens up then because it becomes like a domino effect where you know somebody who Borough might want might be somebody who, who they won't let out. But then suddenly a player becomes available on loan from a Premier League club that club will take him and let Borough have the player that Borough want. They're the kind of things that come into effect in the last few weeks of August. And yeah, it's always good to get, uh, you know, all of your business done early, but 
you know, realistically, it doesn't happen that way. And, you know, there's, there's seven in with Luke Daniels now already. And, you know, I think that's, uh, they've been pragmatic signings with the one exciting one in Martin Piero. So, uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd definitely not panic stations. Jamie is taking the time to write this, this, this big comment. So I will read it out. I think, um, Maybe a bit overly optimistic with the names he mentions, but nonetheless, we'll uh, we'll crack on with what he says. Uh, we're desperate for a proper strike. I think most people can agree with that. Is there any truth in the possibility of storage coming in? Would definitely be a gamble with his injuries, but this level, he'd be a shrewd signing. I know wages would probably be a problem, but I think Fabian Delft would be a great addition. I hear he's available. Someone with experience would be unreal. Um, slightly optimistic, Dom? Yeah, I mean... Um... And first things first on Delph, I, I don't think that's an area, you know, even if he, he's available, I don't think that's an area really that Borough, that Borough need to strengthen um, in, in the middle of the park. I know he's played on the left as well, but um, yeah, I, th- I think, I don't I, th- I don't think that would be a priority. As for Sturridge, um, well, you know, Craig uh, did, did a story last week talking about just kind of providing a, a transfer update and and it mentioned in there that there's, there's a striker from Europe who Borough, who Borough are tracking. Now, obviously, Borough are kind of keen to keep the name under under wraps, as you would be, especially with a player who might, well, interest other clubs if, if word gets out that he's available and talks are, are ongoing. Um, absolutely no idea whether that is or isn't Sturridge and who, who it might be. The last I'd heard was Sturridge. He was training with with Mallorca. Um, so, but I, I do think you know it is going to be interesting to see how that develops with a, with a centre forward. And and we know um, Craig mentioned there with with the Premier League loan players and and the, the availability of those and how that market's likely to open up in the coming weeks. Warnock at the end of last season talked about that Premier League loan player who he was interested in and, and who he said that uh, he. he was planning talks with his dad, which kind of immediately makes you think, well, is it is it Liam Delap at Manchester City and and obviously his, his dad Rory, um and uh, who who's on the wall everywhere at the Bet365 stadium, by the way. If you ever go to Stoke, you can't move for pictures of Rory Delap. But um I we asked Warnock about that. I think it was after the Rotherham game, just for an update, whether there's kind of whether that interest is still alive and and he said it was, but he said he wouldn't wouldn't tell us the name. But he said, you know, from what I gather, just about every club in the championship is after him. Which again makes you think. I said, is it Liam Delap? And he, he he said, I'm not telling you. But it does it does tally, doesn't it? So it wouldn't surprise me to see Borough try to get one striker in, and then possibly look at the the option of getting another loan forward in. Um, we know Tuber Akpom's going to go if if possible, especially if a striker gets in. Warnock's made it clear, you know, if, if a bid lands, we're not going to stand in his way. Um, and then there's Josh Colburn, who Warnock does say is part of his, his plans this season. Um, and we saw from the weekend, absolutely not ideal, but Matt Crooks can play there as well. Um, left side is obviously a priority. I think if you're playing a back four, then Lee Peltier can play left back. But if you're going to play with wing-backs, then absolutely need need cover and competition for Bowler. But then after that, attention obviously turns to, to strikers and the need for one, probably two, because even if you get one in, you're, you're an injury away from looking very short again. Craig, let's talk about Coulson off on loan to Ipswich. Um, a few people in the comments disappointed he's gone out. You spoke to, to Warner today. What did Warner have to say about that deal? Yeah, so interestingly, I think the common uh, perception is that because he didn't play much last season and he, he clearly wasn't in Neil Warnock's thoughts, I think the 
the common feeling is that it was probably Neil Warnock who orchestrated that move and, and kind of pushed Coulson out. But quite the opposite, Neil Warnock's claimed the day that he actually wanted um, Coulson to steer. And, and as, as we say, we, there is that issue in the squad at the moment on the left side, which which Coulson would have um, would have obviously you know been able to cover for. I think the issue is, I think Coulson has looked at that. Um, he, he was made aware that Ipswich were interested and there were other clubs, uh, Sunderland were also looking at him too. But uh, from what I, I can understand, what I can gather, um, you know, Ipswich made their interest quite clear. Uh, manager Paul Cook made his admiration of Coulson quite clear. And um, and, and Coulson basically sat and, and, you know, realistically knew that if he did stay at Burra, even if he is in Warnock's plans, he's going to be second choice to bowler. Uh, he's 23-year-old. He didn't play much last season. He's looking at this now as an opportunity to go to a good club with good, uh, you know, with big ambitions in League One. They're clearly going for promotion this season in League One. Uh, so he wants to go there. He wants to have a, a season, a full season, playing regularly. Uh, in a good, successful, hopefully successful team, and and you know and, and learn and kick on from there, and and you know Warnock said the the door's absolutely not closed for him. He can you know have a good season at Fulham, play regularly, learn what he needs to learn, and come back and 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 work his way back into the plans next summer. The door isn't closed, but yeah, I think certainly the the perception was that you know this is probably Warnock's decision to get him out and and actually it sounds like it's the opposite it sounds like it's been Coulson himself who's decided that you know it's better for him to go and play regularly than play back up at Borough. What, what, what I would say about that is um you know I, I sorry to jump in there I I absolutely get where Coulson's coming from there because a 23 year old um you know he, for me he was he was the this player of the year in the 2019-20 season the Jonathan Woodgate season um didn't know a lot about him before then remember thinking how impressive he looked in the summer and 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 he was excellent that year and and I tweeted on um, on Monday night that when Warnock came in I, I thought I thought Coulson would be right up his street but for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out. And I think what became clear last year was um, Warnock didn't really know what to do with him in terms of uh, what position. It, you know, defensively, uh, he, he clearly didn't trust him and, and he gave that penalty away. Someone pointed out to me on Twitter and I'd forgotten about that penalty he gave away against Norwich. Um, and then Bowler came in and, and, and emerged. So he was behind Bowler and Marvin Johnson in the pecking order. And I mean, at the end of last year, when he was playing in almost like a number ten, um, that was just strange, wasn't it? Because he's not—he's not a number ten. Um, so I, I absolutely think this will this will do in the world of good. And and I do, I do think there might you know there might well have been a bit of championship interest. But um, going to League One, playing in a team that you'd expect to be challenging, playing every single week—it's the same with wing, really, isn't it? At Sheffield Wednesday, come back in the summer and 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 go again. Um, but I think, you know, he's out of Colson, obviously, he's, he's, he's flawed. He's by no means the finished product. But purely judging on that that season a couple of years ago, there's, there's definitely something there. Yeah, it's a great attitude, isn't it, as well, to be banging on the door and saying, like, I want to go out and play first-team football. Um, Steve Wright does ask, does that mean someone will be coming in to the club in the near future to replace him? Does, does the fact that he has forced an exit, you know, does that mean... Middlesbrough, 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 Middlesbrough's hand will be forced to replace him. Yeah, I mean, they, they wanted someone. It's been clear, hasn't it? This this kind of Ipswich move has been the worst kept secret in the FL, really, for the last two or three weeks. Um, 
we know that he wants a left sider. He, he looks at Kieran Brown at, at Cardiff, who's out of contract uh, next summer. And, and Mick McCarthy said the Borough's offer was nowhere near enough. That one might still have legs, especially if Brown makes it clear that he doesn't want to sign an extended contract and wants to move. Um, so we, we know that, and Warnock's actually said before, Coles won't be going anywhere until we get someone in. Now, that was when Mark Bowler was, was unavailable. So Bowler's fit and available again now. And and with Colson making it absolutely clear that he wanted to go, Warnock's clearly, you know, kind of sanctioned the move. But it still won't, won't absolutely won't change the fact that Borough will be looking to get someone in in, in the very near future. Because you're, you're a Bowler niggle away from, you know, remember this is Mark Bowler who had hernia surgery in the summer. You're, you're a Bowler niggle away from from having a real problem again in that position. A lot of people, Craig, in the comments asking about Pereira, who's obviously on the bench against Fulham, didn't come off the bench. Was that just because he's had a bit of a busy summer with the Olympics and what have you? Um, do we do we expect him to gradually become a first-team player? Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's going to play. We'll get a first look at him tomorrow night at Blackpool in the Cup. Um, Warnock said after the game, he was asked about it, and he just said that... Um, you know, the, he felt the game was a bit too hectic and a bit too, uh, you know, there was all sorts going on in there and, and it would have been a difficult game for, for Martin to come into. You know, he only trained you know, he trained with two players uh, in a kind of more of a fitness session on the Thursday afternoon after coming out of self-isolation. And then he had his only training session with the full squad on the Friday uh, before travelling down to London on the Saturday. So, you know, he, it's clearly he's going to take a little bit of time. He's going to need a little bit of time to to, to adapt to the English game and, and whatnot. And that was, you know, an, an extraordinary game, if you like, to have brought him into uh, in those circumstances. It would have probably, you know, been difficult for him to kind of impose himself on the game. You know, I said after, it, it wasn't a game for midfielders, really. The, the, the game passed them by um, largely on uh, on Sunday. And uh, so I think, yeah, Blackpool looks a much better opportunity to kind of give him give him a go and have a look at him. He's, he'll have had a bit more time to kind of, you know, get integrate into the squad and get an idea of what Warnock will expect of him. Um, and, and yeah, Warnock mentioned him again today and just said, you know, he, uh, he, it was a good opportunity really for him to just sit on the bench on Sunday and just watch the game, you know, and just, you know, see how the English game differs from the Argentinian game. And, you know, he said, Martin said himself that he, he really enjoyed watching it, but he was surprised at how quick it was and how physical it was. Uh, in comparison to the football he's been used to in Argentina, so it sounds like he's up for it. He sounds like he's, you know, he's excited about the challenge, but clearly it is a different style of football to what he's used to. So, so yeah, Blackpool in the cup, there's no pressure, there's no, you know, need to go and get three important points or anything like that because it's a cup that obviously isn't Burr's priority. It seems like the perfect opportunity to, to you know, give him a go and let's see what he can do. Bloomfield Road on a Wednesday night is quite the introduction to English football, isn't it? I completely agree with what you're saying there, Craig, about how he'll have benefited so much from just being in and around um, the, the squad on Saturday, travelling down at the weekend, being on the bench on Sunday, just watching, listening to Warnock and seeing how Warnock and the coaching team operate in the in the changing room, which which will have been eye opening in itself. I would I would well imagine. I think I think um, it, it'll have just benefited so much 
so much from that. And although he's been although he's been in, in England a couple of weeks now, because obviously he was in isolation for a while, he'll still be getting the grips with things, won't he? He won't have he'll have only spent what three or four days training um with, with the squad. So it made absolute sense. And as you say, Carabao Cup is the, the perfect opportunity, isn't it? And sorry, my little one's screaming downstairs if you can hear him there. I think just he just more, really just wants to see Pereira play. That's what it is. Um, what was I going to ask you? I had a, both had a question there. Yes, Saul Bamba. So the last time we spoke about uh, Mr. Bamba on the podcast, it was the impression was that he was training and he would probably go elsewhere. There's been a bit of a turn, and Warnock is very keen on getting him in as a player slash coach. He's confident that's going to happen. He's joked about the medical taking two and a half years to get done because obviously he's had his his issues uh, recently. Craig, what changed from a few weeks ago when we were under the pressure that he was here to get fit and he'd be on his way? Yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable story, really, and, and fair play to, to Solly deserves you know every bit of credit that comes his way for it because initially, yeah, he came into the club uh, to train because he'd been released by Cardiff this summer, but he did want another year playing. And and when he first came into the club, the message you know, was that, you know, he's just coming in. This is just a favour for somebody who was such an important player for Warnock for all those years at Cardiff. So he was giving him, he was doing him that favour, get, helping him get fit so he could go elsewhere and, and, and have another season playing as he wished to do. But actually, you know, he, and I think, you know, it was telling that he didn't travel with the squad down to the Devon and Cornwall trip. Uh, I think if at that point there were any plans to sign him, he probably would have gone on that trip because why wouldn't you take him? Um, he... He freeze. And it was at that point that I think Bamba started to turn opinion and turn, um, you know, turn how things, how they were looking at him at Middlesbrough and uh, and his future because he was absolutely brilliant with the under-23s. He... Uh, he played a game uh, and, and they were talking about how important he was and how much he talked and how much he helped the youngsters. And and since then, they came back from Devon and Cornwall. He played a couple of games, um, you know, for the first team. He was absolutely superb, I thought, against Rotherham. He, he came on, replaced uh, Grant Hall in the back three, which meant he was, he was if you like, the, 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 the centre of the back three he was the sweeper. And he made some brilliant recovery tackles where, you know, balls had come down the channels in behind, Fry on the left or McNair to the right of him. And he got across and put in some fantastic recovery tackles. Yeah, he didn't look like a 36-year-old in the slightest uh, really impressive and I think overall that's just ultimately turned the opinion as I see of, of Neil Warnock and he's thought well you know instead of uh, instead of him just being here to build his fitness to go and benefit somebody else why not keep him here he can be a player coach he can help the youngsters he, he's a leadership in the dressing room which we know Warnock wanted more of anyway and he absolutely can still offer something on the pitch if you know players were to get injured and any were to be needed, uh, he offers that cover which we know Middlesbrough need and that depth. So yeah, so I think an excellent story, remarkable story, and fair play to him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'd, uh, I'd spoken to Sol, and this was probably when he was a couple of weeks into his his trial, uh, and it was just about kind of his his uh, his his last year in general. I would imagine, obviously, um, his, his cancer diagnosis on Christmas Eve, and, and uh, how he beat that, and then returned to football with Cardiff on the on the final day of the season. Um, and I said to him, obviously, you know, what are the chances of staying at Middlesbrough? Then you've got to ask the question. 
you know, you don't expect an answer, do you? You expect the kind of generic, well, I'm taking one day at a time and we'll see what comes. And and he said to him, if, if I said it hadn't been discussed and I'd be lying to you and, and I'm no liar, that was clear then, I think, that, that he was going to stay, that he was going to, you know, that as what, regardless of how much he plays, how much has Warnock talked about how he needs experience and leadership around the place. And and But I think, you know, Bamba clearly said when he came back at Cardiff last year, I've got more to offer. I've got another year. And from what we've seen, albeit against lower league opposition in the summer friendlies, I absolutely agree with him because he coasted through, didn't he? And and I think um, there was a throwaway line from Warnock at the weekend where I think he'd said if, if Grant Hall, I think it was, wasn't fit to play at the weekend, he'd have rushed the Bamba deal through and, and played him. So, you know, yeah, he's going to sign, isn't he? And I would imagine he'll play quite a lot of football this season. Yeah, really key experience to bring into the squad there. Um, we mentioned Blackpool tomorrow in the Cup, um, but we'll just look ahead to the weekend because it's going to be a really nice to see fans back at the Riverside. Um, how excited, Craig, are you to, to to be kind of part of that and what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, by the sounds of it, it, it sounds like ticket sales are going really strong and the Riverside's going to have, uh, you know... A, you know, be close to full by the sounds of it. They're, they're, they're really going strong on ticket sales. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be amazing to, to have that again. You know, obviously, I've mentioned a few times now on the pod, having only covered Middlesbrough and being at the Gazette for a year now, my only experience prior to this season of, you know, a, a game with fans uh, while covering Borough was that 1,000, you know, fans that were there for the Bournemouth game last season, which was the government test event. And, you know, I remember I remember then the noise that, um, what the, I don't know what happened with Dom's screen there, but that was an incredible picture. That didn't look like Dom. Um, that, was, that was Dan from our Birmingham office. I'm not really sure how that happened. I, but, um... you know, I stopped the cam very briefly because uh, Ezra's still making himself heard downstairs. So I thought I'd best shut this door. So yeah, sorry about that. Plow on, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> the, the picture that came up through me, I thought that's not dumb. Um, yeah, for just as an explanation for anybody listening later on the podcast, they'll be wondering what happened there. But yeah, Dom, Dom turned his camera off and a picture of a random man appears. Uh, there you are. Um, but yeah, going back to what I was seeing, um, um, yeah, it'll be absolutely brilliant. 1,000 um, 1, fans at that Bournemouth game last season. And when Marcus Brown scored that late equaliser, those 1,000 fans made enough noise you know, themselves. So for however many it's going to be on Saturday, 20-odd, possibly even pushing 30,000, um, you know, absolutely incredible. I can't wait. Just, you know, everything about the Fulham game on, on Sunday, I'm still... I'm still conflicted on whether I forgive Fulham fans for the clappers. I'm not a fan of clappers and I think Borough should probably be awarded the three points just on the basis that Fulham fans did use clappers. Um, but no, it just, you know, it was amazing to be back at a game that was, you know, fans there and everything. And uh, just the, the whole feel, the atmosphere, the build up, the, you know, everything about it, it, it was, it, it felt right again that fans were there because last season, you know, it was soulless without them. So I can't wait for Saturday. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Cla- clappers in a new, clappers in a neutral end at Craven Cottage. That's not for me. <laughs> well um, played there, by the way, Craig. He did incredibly well to get back on point after our cameo from our, from our Midlands colleague. You did, Craig. You did it exceptionally well. Um, tomorrow night, then, guys, what are we expecting? Are we expecting a strong side, Dom? 
What, what, what do you think the score is going to be? Um, I think I think it'll be. He's, he's back, Warnock's bound to make changes, but because his squad isn't that big, um, he can only make so many changes. So Isaiah Jones, you know, we know Piero's going to start. Isaiah Jones is likely to start. Jeremy Sivy, um, you know, having impressed so much, in, uh, and I thought Craig was going to start laughing there. I, th- I thought he was still on about, still thinking about our colleague who appeared. Um, Jeremy Sivy, who was who was so impressive in pre-season, I think he'll get an opportunity. Possibly Josh Coburn up front. Um, it was interesting that Warnock said after the Rotherham game, as much as in the in the summer, as much as Coburn had impressed him, he hadn't he hadn't actually seen him in from the start of a game, and that's why he decided to put him in, and he and he changed his mind late on on that one. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me for one minute to see to see Coburn play, especially given the lack of centre forwards at the minute. You know, we know that it's going to be a quite severe workload for Uche Piazu, so. Um, kind of a you know a ninety minute rest for him makes sense. Um, and then we might see one or two other youngsters get a chance. Conor Malley, who, who was so impressed at the back end of last season against Rotherham, I think it was. Um, Lee Peltier is likely likely to play. Sol Bamba had to be registered by noon on on Tuesday, and and as Craig said, if and and it, and it as Craig's written the day, it's a big if. But if if he was to be confirmed before then, you know, it, it might well have been registered before. On Tuesday, it might not be. That's just one. But again, if it has, then you wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised to see him play. Um, Luke Daniels as well. Do you, do you think he'll play? Did he did he mention that in his press conference, Craig? Do you think he'll do you think he'll play Daniels? He, he was asked, and he kind of said that he he he, um, he he doesn't think he'll play tomorrow night, and he he kind of made the line that he doesn't like to throw people in like that. But um, right. Uh, it was an interesting one because I know Daniels has been there certainly over the weekend. He's been there a few days training with them. Uh, he hasn't just you know come in yesterday as he signed. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was I was kind of under the impression that if he did sign in time, which he obviously did, he, he would probably play it tomorrow night. But he, he kind of suggested the deer that he wouldn't. But but of course we know what 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 Neil can be like at times. He doesn't like to give his team away too much, does he? So so maybe he said that publicly, and then you know the team comes out at. Uh, at quarter to seven tomorrow night, and uh, and Daniels is a starter. Yeah, you just don't know, do you? But yeah, it was an interesting response that one. I think although the team's going to be maybe not much changed, but changed, I, st- I still think it's going to be strong enough to 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 win the game. Um, and you know we know that the Carabao, we know Borough aren't going to win the Carabao Cup. We know it's not the priority, but you want to win games, especially at this stage of the season, don't you? You just want to build that momentum and get things ticking over. Um, and in the last couple of seasons, you know, Borough have, have lost early in the Cup. It was Barnsley last year. It was Crew the year before when Borough were really poor. And and even at that early stage, it just sets alarm bells ringing a little bit, doesn't it? So so I, I think, yes, the extra game, especially at the minute with the squad stretched, yes, the extra game before the month is out probably isn't what Warnock wants. But but winning a game is more important than that, isn't it? Just building that belief, building that, building that momentum to take it to Bristol City on Saturday. Which I think will be a great occasion. Um, I know, you know, it was it was brilliant to see to see that away end of form on Saturday. It really was, and and it was great at Rotherham in the summer when when that away end and, and however many there. I think it was announced. I can't remember what it was announced as officially, but it looked three. It looked and sounded three times that. 
Um, but it's that home game, isn't it? I think that's, you know, kind of everyone back in after 18 months or whatever it's been, you know, they just kind of waking up on the Saturday morning and having that match day routine back. And um, yeah, I think that's going to be a, a really special occasion. I just hope it's marked with a, with a win. Yeah, fingers crossed. It will be a special weekend and hopefully they can go into that game with a victory over Blackpool in the EFL Cup tomorrow night. Gents, thanks for popping on to Tribe Supper. Thank you to you guys watching and listening later on the podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast and pass it around your borough supporting friends and family and head over to the Gazette website to keep up to date with all the latest Middlesbrough FC news. Just quickly, Muzz, before we go, I didn't get a chance to tell me James Blood story, which I teased you about. Well, I was waiting for you to have a little segue in, but it didn't come, so go on. I can't, I can't believe you didn't tweet about it. Yeah, we, we can't end the podcast without an away trip story, and uh, and this one's probably going to be the best one we've got all season. Because, uh, that's a claim, yeah, that's a claim. We've, uh, we, you know, we should, we should, I should explain at the start of this story that, um, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, my, my musical taste is usually kind of rock, heavy metal, that kind of thing. I'm a download festival regular, but I have a weird obsession with James Blunt. I'm not sure if we've discussed that on the podcast yet. Um, I've, I've seen him live 10 times. I've got tickets to see him again next year. Um, I, I am very much a stalker. I made his book last year, which I was really, really happy with uh, after a drunken tweet. And um, yeah, anyway, so I'm really obsessive about James Blunt. And um, I, I knew he owned a pub somewhere around London, but I didn't know where it was. I followed it on Instagram and all that, but couldn't remember its name. Anyway, on Saturday night, I travelled out of London on the Saturday at a hotel before, uh, with it being an early kickoff on the Sunday I went out and uh, had a meal. Um, thought I'd take the long way around back to the hotel to walk past Stamford Bridge because I wasn't staying too far from, from Chelsea's ground. So um, I set off after me meal on this walk and I, and I walked past this pub and uh, it was it was it almost just looked like the last house in a, in a row of houses in a street that was so posh that it was behind a security barrier. Um, that's what made me initially notice this pub is it, it just looks like a house that has been done up into a pub and the last uh, on a row of houses behind it as I say a security barrier which uh, was incredible in itself it looked like a lovely little boozer to be fair but anyway I wanted to be back to the room because the boxing was on I wanted to watch the boxing so I walked on but I don't know why there was just um, you know there was just something came to us and I kind of thought like it just made me think of that pub, made me think of James Blunt's boozer that he bought. Uh, I think he bought it just pre-COVID, uh, the perfect time to become, be, uh, become a publican, of course. Uh, bless him. But uh, So I just decided to Google it. You know, I couldn't remember what this pub was called, his pub was called, so I Googled it. And, um, and, and funnily enough, the pub that I'd just passed was James Blunt's pub. Uh, so I was a little gutted, really, because I'd walked on at this point and I couldn't be bothered to really turn back. And uh, had I known I'd have been in there and, and had a pint, I would have had to have. Of course, I would have done. But um, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, but yeah, the, I thought it was just a, a beautiful story about the, the spiritual connection that me and James Blunt obviously share. I've got to say, I've even figures dropped there. And <laughs> I'm very disappointed that that didn't lead to you walking past and hearing a rendition of your beautiful and thing. And that sounds like James Blunt and you walk in and there he is with his guitar. Um, as I'm no, sure. Does, I it, does, he play? does it, does it just have his own music on loop in there? I'm a big, I'm, I'm, I mean, I haven't seen him live once, never mind 10 times, but uh, I, I, thir- I am a big James Blunt fan. I thoroughly enjoyed back to Bedlam. Um, but does it just have his music on loop in there or? 
I mean, I hope so. I hope, you know, next time I go back to that area of London, I'm definitely going to visit. I hope it, it's his music on loop and I hope there's just pictures of him all over the walls. Uh, that's how I want the inside of the pub to look, but I, I'm not certain. He lives, um, in a, he lives in Ibiza, doesn't he? He does, yeah. So, of course, he owns it, but uh, he doesn't run it. But, uh, but yeah, um, I'll, I, I definitely need to make sure I, I visit it now I know where it is uh, next time I'm in London. When Craig, when Craig got to Craven Cottage on, on Sunday, and obviously I'm online back at home, and, uh, and, and you know, he logged on and said hello. And before we discussed anything about the game or anything, it was straight on to the fact he'd walked past James Blunt's pub the night before and hadn't gone in. I just think, you know, like, I, I walked past this pub. It could have been, you know, I mean, how many pubs are in London? And I got five minutes down the road, and, and and for some reason, I just started thinking about James Blunt. I think, you know, that's that's a bond we share. There's, there's a spiritual bond there between us. For those interested, it's called The Fox and Pheasants. And um, before the other two get to say anything else and uh, destroy this podcast anymore, I'm going <laughs> to sign it off there. Next week, we'll be back to talking about football, hopefully marking two victories for Borough in the process, obviously, tomorrow against Blackpool. And uh, Bristol, isn't it, all over the weekend? So, um, once again, please remember to like and subscribe uh, to the podcast and head over to Gazette Live uh, for the latest Mills FC news.